Bisexual Brunch is produced with love by MIM. And if you like what we do, why not support us on Patreon? Visit patreon.com forward slash bisexual brunch. Thank you. It's another Bisexual Brunch with Nikki Hodgson, Lewis Oakley and Ashley Byrne. If nobody was told what you were meant to do, if there weren't any rules, then we would be living in a totally different format. We as journalists and activists have always found it very difficult to find people who will openly talk about being bisexual. Just don't think there are enough bi perspectives on bi issues. I feel like we've got to talk about it because we're really comfortable doing that. It can be really intimidating. Bisexuality is not really understood because people have biphobic tendencies. And the second you mention bisexual, just their ears pick up. Oh, well, you're still confused, right? No, I'm not confused. I've always found myself at the mercy of gay and straight advice. You can have a bit of competition to see who's the better bisexual bruncher. This is Bisexual Brunch. So it's another bisexual brunch and Nikki's back and she's with Puppy. Well, I haven't quite got him. He's coming next week. So I've got six more sleeps before Puppy arrives. But I've been out puppy shopping... I bought everything I can possibly need. I've started puppy proofing the house. It's a big endeavour getting this puppy. I mean, not that I'm saying, Lewis, it's just like when you had Maisie. <laughs> but, you know, I feel like I am becoming a mum of something. And uh, it's, it's quite a big responsibility, but I'm so excited. I've got to take the full week off work so that I'm in all the time and can settle him and all the rest of it. What does yeah. puppy proofing uh, entail then? Well, you've got to, because he's a tiny sausage dog, you've got to imagine where he could slip under or get stuck under or what he could chew. So it's like getting rid of, we have loads of cables in our house because we always do loads of tech. We've got loads of low cupboards and things that could look enticing. We've got to really clean all the floors so he doesn't lick stuff off the floor. <laughs> I've got to get really clean, basically, which is actually a bloody nightmare for me because I hate cleaning. But I will do it for this dog. So, it, yeah, it's just funny what you'll do when you're motivated, basically, by a cute puppy. Dog or daughter? It's, 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 <laughs> it's um, all the same. It's a whole thing to try and keep something else alive. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Well, I managed with a plant this year, so then I've graduated to a puppy, and then maybe I'll graduate to a daughter. But we'll see. And what? And what about you? What about your husband? What about your partner? How, does, is he is he as enthusiastic about this puppy, or is he going to start to get jealous? No, Ferdy is extremely enthusiastic about the puppy, basically because he's very confident that the puppy is going to love him more than me. Because he's firmer than I am. I'm actually a soft touch. I mean, you know, if you know me, I'm a softie. And I know that with a dog, you can't be like that. They don't respect you. So I'm going to be the one that's going to just want to cuddle him all the time and like let him have treats. But actually, that's not what he needs. And Ferdy will do the right thing. And then I'll get jealous because the puppy loves him more than me. <laughs> I can see it all coming. So I've got to prepare and not fall into the trap. Have you got animals as well, Lewis? God, no. We actually, Maisie did really take a liking to a dog last weekend and it was all like, oh, she'll want a dog. And I'm like, I can't. I literally can't look after. I can't look after anything else. I've had enough. (laughs) So let's move on uh, to talk about uh, our topic, obviously, which is always bisexuality. Um, But apparently um, people don't like us talking about it. We've had several people um, commenting on bisexual brunch over the period we've been doing this. Uh, podcast actually saying why are these people so self-indulgent talking about their sexuality all the time I mean obviously we've had a lot of positives but these are the criticisms I'm I'm focusing on Um, so that's one area Um, but then I've noticed recently there's been a lot of talk in the media as well um, elements of the media social media mainly of people being annoyed that people are 
coming out and talking about either they're being gay or bisexual or whatever it is. It particularly annoys me when I hear this kind of criticism about people being bisexual because you you don't actually hear it that much. And so it's like, well, why, why, have, why have you got a problem uh, with that? And I noticed it this week in particular um, on social media. Um, one of the uh, former actors um, of Coronation Street, um, recent uh, actor who's just left, um, about a couple of months ago, Matilda Freeman has come out as uh, bisexual, and um, she's been praised by various people about you know for coming out as bisexual, etc. But the response on the forums, on Facebook, and then you know Twitter feeds and all the rest of it from various people who you know are, are fans of the program or whatever is just really bad in the sense of not in the sense of directly prejudice against somebody who's bisexual. Although there is some of that in there. But it's things like, you know, quotes like, who gives a shit? Who really cares? Who cares what sexuality any actor or actress is as long as they're good at acting on the programme? Um, you know, things like that. People saying, you know, people seem to want to have to shout about their sexuality and, and, and sort of, you know, get us all involved. And why do they do this? And all that kind of thing. Obviously, there are people who've who've said otherwise and said, actually, no, it's really important to to to. to to, for people to to say things, um, and then of course you get other things where you start to get confusion, obviously, in the conversation around what bisexuality uh, really is, and several people challenge that. But overall, the vast majority of people responding, and a lot of these forums that I've seen with regards to this particular story, and I've seen it with others in in previous weeks and months, is why do they want to come out? Why do they have to talk about it? Why do they have to be so blatant? Why do we have to know about somebody's sexuality, etc.? So I think, as well as the issue that we have as bisexuals, which is just getting um, any notice at all from the mainstream media, which is improving, but still not as good, you know, as good it should be. Um, we've got that issue. We've also got the issue of getting notice within the LGBT world, but we've also got this thing whereby, and we've talked about this before, whereby we seem to have jumped beyond. Bisexuality doesn't doesn't seem to get in the conversation at all. It's just not mentioned, and there and, and people people who um, do talk about it are then accused of just being blatantly either overly overtly sexual or just a bit self indulgent about themselves or thinking you know you know some kind of entitlement or whatever. All these things come out in these forums. There are all these kind of awful things people say. What? Why are we here? Why have we got to a point, Nikki, whereby bisexuality is sort of dismissed in so many different corners and places where you think it shouldn't be dismissed we've seems to have it seems to have bypassed it i mean somebody said in response to a uh, a tweet we put out something about bisexual rage it continues to be rife uh, in the straight and lgbt world there's millions of bisexual people of all ages in straight or gay facing relationships who still don't feel comfortable being open about their sexuality a lot more work to do quite a few people have liked that but then somebody comes back with um, the quote, perhaps sexuality is evolving and the word no longer fits us, a lot of us. I used to identify as bi, but the word doesn't seem right for me now. I don't want to label, I just want to be. Now, fine, if that's how somebody feels. But there seems to be this sort of justification, in a way, for not using the word bisexual. What's it all about, Nikki? Okay, so there's two camps here. 
uh, one camp that just thinks all the work's been done and we don't need the word and one camp that's kind of ignoring all the hard work that was done and they're reaping the fruits of the labour of the campaigning and therefore they don't need to use the word in order to live their life freely as a bisexual person. What absolutely gets my back up is when someone says to me, oh, but why do you have to bang on about your sexuality? That, that sort of argument. We, I, don't care what, I don't care if you're bisexual. I just care if you're a good human being. And that is always a kind of closeted, bigoted way of basically saying, I don't want to engage with your struggle. I'm not interested in your story. I'm not interested in what you've had to fight for. That's what that means. And also, I can't be bothered to help you. So I had, I had a taxi driver get onto it with me this week and it just absolutely does my head in. And normally I'm very polite and I just kind of like move the conversation on or change the topic. And I actually didn't do that this time. I actually argued back with him and I was trying to very, you know, very calmly, but very plainly say, look, these are why people fight for LGBTQI rights. It's because there've been these most basic of things not given to them. It's because there's all this violence engendered towards us, you know? And I, I just think that there's a... There's so much noise now, because it's so fashionable to talk maybe about being proud, you know, it's Pride Month. But because there isn't enough about the history or the reasons why we still fight or what we still need, people just think that people are popping off for no reason. And so that is that is a big, like we always talk about after the problems with media representation. Well, that's a problem of the media. The media doesn't explain enough why it matters. It just says it matters. And that therefore, if you argue back or you discount it, well, you're not supporting people. But people need to be shown why they should care always. Or you can't just expect them to care for no reason. Absolutely. What do you think, Lewis, to this? I mean, it, you know, it's constantly there, isn't it? This issue of, of wanting to just sort of disregard bisexuality talk about everything else other than bisexuality yeah no i mean this is the thing like so many times doing interviews over the years i've had that whole oh well do people really care anymore do people really like want to talk about this what does it matter like nikki said it oh just, it, as long as you're a good person it doesn't matter what i've found is with those people those are the first ones to spit their tea out and clutch their pearls when someone actually does come out as bisexual so it's like usually for me, when someone says, oh, we don't care about this anymore, it's, it's usually a sign that they really do. And like that's just in my experience. And to be honest, look, the stats don't lie. Bisexuals don't come out of the closet. Bisexuals are terrified of admitting it. And people are, people are resistant for when, we, when they actually run into confident bisexuals who are up for talking about it. Yeah, we just better say who is in the background there. Of course, it's, uh... <laughs> By the way, as I'm talking, my daughter is on my lap screaming and, and not not being happy. I don't know. I think she's a bit bored. I did try and get her down for a nap, but she's not having any of it. <laughs> she looks a bit excitable today, don't you, Maisie? I can see. She's, she's got big see... eyes. She's staring at herself on the screen and everyone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's lovely to see you. Cheers. I'm nice hearing you, actually. Yeah, which is a key. You can listen back to these old episodes and be like, that was me screaming over my dad's <laughs> At least it's not you screaming now, Lewis, that's true. <laughs> so, yeah, this problem is seems to be not going away. And I don't know what we actually do about it in a way, apart from obviously trying to um, get ourselves heard even more. And I know that, Nikki, you're going to be presenting... Um, two or three uh, special programmes on a new pop-up station which has been run by Virgin to do with LGBT um, Pride um, period or month or whatever we want to call it these days, uh, which is great news. Um, and um, on that, you're going to be hopefully interviewing um, a range of different people. Tell us more. 
Yeah, absolutely. So I've got uh, three 30-minute documentaries commissioned, which I'm writing and presenting. And the idea is that I'm trying to answer that question, do I even need to call myself bisexual anymore? Because I know I absolutely do, but lots of people don't. So what I'm going to do is try and take the audience on the journey, the listeners on the journey with me to understanding why it matters to me so much still. And hopefully that will convert some people into thinking, oh, actually... It is quite difficult being bisexual and we really do need to support our bisexuals. So that's kind of like the point of the of the gig. Um, also, gratuitously, going to absolutely bring you two in as much as possible, as much as I'm allowed to do. Uh, I know that Lewis always loves a bit of extra airtime. And um, I'm also interviewing bisexual celebrities. So if anyone's got any suggestions of someone they'd love me to interview, then yeah, let us know. I, I'm sort of like overexcited about who we might get, but... It all depends who's free on the day and all that stuff. And for anybody who's listening to this, because uh, our audience is, is across across the globe, of course, and particularly big in, in North America, but this is in the UK, um, let's just put this in context for people who are listening. It's very rare, isn't it, Nikki, that um, you actually get any kind of bisexual representation in, in British media. Very now and again, maybe once a year, when it's Bisexual Awareness Day or whatever, you might get one of the mainstream networks deciding, oh, we'll do a... We'll do suddenly do a phone in about bisexuality, but of course you get all the old tropes, the old things said all the time, kind of thing. So it's very rarely, is it, that you get anything that actually investigates or talks about or gives people any kind of, you know, uh, anything beyond the, just the basics, really. So this is this is quite significant, isn't it, in a way? For the, okay, it's only a three month pop up thing, but who knows? It might help for for the future. Absolutely. I mean, I'm delighted to be asked, but more than that, I'm just delighted that they've decided it's worth it commercially, you know? So obviously what we keep saying increasingly is we know more and more people are coming out as bi and they want to embrace their bi selves and they want to be part of some kind of community. And so I just think that this pop-up is proof that those people are out there and they want to listen to this and they want to talk about it. So I think it's to the good and let's, and you never know if it does really well, maybe they would, maybe they would build out more programming as a result of it. So we just cross our fingers and do our best. Yeah, no, absolutely. see what happens. I just, I just long for a period when, when the, the B isn't just token. It isn't just tagged on. Oh, we're going to do a special on bisexual. Do you know what I mean? Whereas it actually, eventually it's actually talked of within the, the whole pantheon. And I think that's where, you know, you've got an issue. I still have, a, I was talking to one of some of my family the other day and, there's still, I still have this thing of, of having to specifically point out that bisexuality is there. You know what I mean? We'll talk about family members or whatever who are gay and whatever, and then I'll have to really point out, oh, actually, no, you know, you know what they are. That person probably might be bisexual, and then they go silent and they don't quite understand it. So it's still not in the discourse properly. People still can't get it in there, and it, and it shows up in other areas as well. You know, people have been, as you know, people have been writing to us quite a bit. Um, about the fact that bisexual brunch is helping them to um, understand themselves. I mean, we're getting letters from Texas, Australia, Hong Kong, every, everywhere. I mean, it's fantastic, really. Um, and a lot of these people, you know, it's a life. It's definitely a lifeline to them. And, and the, 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 we're, we're creating, I suppose, a, a community, which is fantastic. Um, but, you know, they um, struggle day to day with... Just the whole issue, and this is what I think a lot of people out there generally don't understand, just the whole issue of quantifying their sexuality in their own lives and knowing what it means to them. So I spoke to one guy who said, um, I haven't come out to my wife or to anybody else because for me, he said, I see it as a need I have. 
sexually every six months or so. <laughs> so occasionally he'll cheat on the cheat on his wife every six months and then goes back to the norm again. And yet he doesn't feel that he'd like to. He'd love to be open with her, but he doesn't feel as though he has to because he's in that sort of cosy, straight relationship which doesn't cause him any trouble on a regular basis. Do you know what I mean? So... That, I mean, that's just one example. I'm sure there are obviously everyone's different extremes of bisexuality and whatever, but that's not healthy, is it? You know, it would be nice for him to be in a situation where he can be open to his wife. But he, as far as he's concerned, if she, if he says anything to her, that'll be it. They won't have a relationship anymore and it'll be all over and done with, you know what I mean? So that's what that's what people don't get. It's that detail that when they talk, think about bisexuality, where they think we're all just having sex, they don't get that that, that understanding that it's... It's very, you know, it's much more complex for every single individual. I mean, Lewis, you must have come across these kind of stories many, many times. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's something that's really hard to get into. And it's, you know, we're, we're in such a generation where it's like, tell it to me in five seconds. Give me, give me the top line now. And we, we can't really do that with this. And it's especially difficult because it's a spectrum, right? So I, I find that a lot where it's like, if you're not, and I hate the term 50-50 when it comes to your bisexuality, maybe if you're more 70-30, you might think, well, what's the what's the point in the palaver? Like like the example you just gave of like telling my wife this when, you know, I've kind of got it under control. And that can be that can be a really unique bisexual issue. Whereas if you were gay, you were gay. It's like, well, I've got to confront this now. Whereas with bisexuals, because it can be a spectrum, I feel like you get more people that feel like, oh, well, you know, I can handle it and, and I don't need to to talk about it, but we absolutely do. I mean, the mental health figures for bisexuality are in the toilet, it's terrible. Um, so we need to get better at talking about these things, getting into those nitty gritties and having things like this, like have a long conversation, get really deep into it, not worry that anyone's gonna be canceled or anything and, and kind of explore it. And it's gonna be different for every person because everyone's bisexuality is different on those scales. Um, so it's a complex one, but I think absolutely kind of to sum up what we're talking about, we absolutely need to keep talking about bisexuality and get deeper and have deeper conversations. Yeah, no, absolutely. Where do you think we sit in terms of the communication and, and the communication maybe we should be having more? And I talk about us as bisexual brunch to an extent because actually, you know, when you think about examples of, of bisexual bisexuality officially anywhere in society, there aren't many, let's face it, there are different few organisations here and there, and I suppose we're one of them in a way. Where do you think we sit and where do you think we should move things in terms of our communication and our reaching out to the pansexual side of things, the, the polyamorous, all these different people who identify in different ways, but but let's face it, have a have a connection with what bisexual people are also going through. It's not it's not one set thing, is it? There are lots of bisexual people in different kinds of relationships, let's face it. And I think, I don't know what you think, Nikki, you know, do, do you think we need to connect more with those those communities? Yeah, it's really interesting because I've just started working for a dating app called Field, which some people might know of, and it's an ethical non-monogamy dating app. So it's basically for anybody who doesn't want a straight vanilla relationship. And there are loads of bisexuals on the app and there are loads of people that are in couples and maybe one of them is bisexual and one of them is straight, but they uh, feel like they want to have a threesome or a thruple experience or they want to have sex with more people. And being bi is is 
you know, their experience is absolutely contingent about, on, upon being bi. And there was huge crossover between people that are bisexual and the ethical non-monogamy community. But we don't really build those bridges. They kind of occurred naturally within them, but we don't make that connection. And the reason that I think bisexuals haven't generally made that is because there's already prejudice against you if you're ethically non-monogamous and there's already prejudice against you if you're bi. So if you put the two together, it kind of is, it's a, it's a double bind and it makes you uh, even more ostracised and isolated from mainstream society. But I actually think what we need to do is embrace that side of us for those of us that are it. I mean, I'm not, but I'm working with these people that are and like that's a lot of people, you know. And And we've got to just kind of go forward together go forward together in our kind of nuances that's that's my that's my take on it I think and also channel four are just working on a program about ethical non-monogamy at the minute so it is about to enter the mainstream so I think if that hits the mainstream then there's more of a chance of the discussion around bisexuality building up again I think ethical non-monogamy I think there's um you know I I mean, we've not, we, we keep saying we're going to discuss more of this and I think we should do, maybe we'll discuss a bit more of it today. Um, <laughs> but the whole thing of, of, you know, the fact that we're in relationships um, and, um, but actually we all have urges and actually interests in other people. And, you know, there are people out there in relationships that where they've got, there's maybe one partner who wants to be more monogamous than the other one. And uh, they'd like to uh, try out something like ethical, non-monogamy, etc. And a lot of that doesn't tend to get talked about because people are scared to talk about it. So, you know, I think I think it's definitely, you know, I, I, I think there's, you know, there's certainly times, if I'm honest, where I've thought, oh, ethical non-monogamy would be quite interesting um, and um, being honest about it. But um yeah, it's not it's not mentioned, so it will be interesting for that to 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 enter the mainstream. What does it actually mean then, ethical non-monogamy? In 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 reality, I mean, I know I understand what it means on the you know the broad sense, but you know, is it something which has been thought through? Are there particular rules? Are there particular things that people are supposed to do? Um, I mean, I'm not a massive fan of all that kind of thing, rule, 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 rule. But are there some basics basically to these things? Yeah, I mean, the main thing is that you basically don't hide your desires. It doesn't mean that you have to act on all of them, but it means that you reveal more of them to your partner. And you don't have to reveal 100% of them, but it just means that if you fancy some other people or you would enjoy an experience with some other people that you may not have met yet, they don't have to be in existence. It could be a theoretical thing. It could be just be, just be in your head. You share it and you discuss it. And then as a team you and your partner decide, okay, well, that's what we would be comfortable having a go at. So why not? Let, let's try it. Let's talk about it before. Let's talk about it after. In an ideal state of mind, you reach this point of compersion is the word. And compersion means when you are happy for your partner to be with somebody else temporarily or permanently, however it is. Because of course, the, the biggest issue and the biggest issue with me would be uh, that little word beginning with J, of course. Yeah, jealousy. yeah, Je we, that we big, like big, that, that little big word <laughs> beginning with J, jealousy, which, you know, green-eyed monster, which gets all of us at the best of times. And you really have to learn how to sit with your jealousy. And that is really hard because we, we are, it's innate to humans to be jealous, to be protective of partners and, you know, relationships. So a lot of it is about trust. And a lot of it is also about learning to have really good instincts about people you can 
have fun with and the people you can't. Because there are some people that are out there to ruin your relationship. That is true. But the majority of them aren't. The majority of them just curious. They want to have a good time. They want to see you on Friday night and then leave on Saturday morning. And that's probably the last time they'll ever see you. You know, there are plenty of those experiences. But then, then there are also people that want something longer term. Like maybe they are a couple that want to have another couple in their lives for the next couple of years. And then you can have a polycule, which was a word that I learned recently, which means when you have a family, you, you organise yourselves as a family and you are multiple partners that sleep with each other. Right. OK, it's interesting. Does any of this uh, interest you, Lewis? It's interesting. <laughs> and I've just learned so many new words I need to write down. As far as wanting to get involved myself, I'll politely decline. Um, but yeah, I think, I mean, this is the thing. I think as long as everyone is happy and consenting, then absolutely break the barriers. And the more people can live honestly and openly, the better. And, you know, I do find, and especially I think we find this a bit more as bisexuals, sometimes a straight community can feel a bit like, oh, you're all so particular and weird and you've got to have things a certain way. And and this is, you know, emotional cheating and blah, blah, blah. And I struggled with that going from a, a gay relationship to a, a straight-facing relationship of like, oh, I can't do that now. That's classes cheating in, in this in this world. And kind of feel like, oh, you, you people are also weird with your, your different rules. So it's really interesting the work you're doing, Nikki. Yeah, I'm fascinated by it. The other thing is that actually the majority of people cheat anyway, which terrifies most people that are monogamous or trying to be. I think it's like 53 or 54% of people cheat over the course of a lifetime. So that means that at least one person in, in a relationship is cheating. So nearly every relationship has an infidelity. And the point is, we aren't actually, we say that we are a monogamous uh, preferential society but we're not we're all most people are cheating most of the time so wouldn't it be better if people were honest about what they wanted to do it's much fairer to the partner and I think about back to my doming days you know when I was a dominatrix those people were technically cheating if they had partners and were coming to see me and it would have been much better if they could have just been honest and saying I'm just popping to see the dominatrix for an hour and then you go off and do what you want to do and then we'll meet back here later and have dinner yeah, you go to Sainsbury's and I'll go to see <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> or you go off and see your girlfriend for an hour or whatever it is, you know? I mean, everyone should be able to have what they want. Absolutely, absolutely. Just to give a little nod to um, a soap opera in Scotland called River City. Um, basically, uh, th- this issue about cheating constantly comes up in dramas and soap operas and it's always the issue of, you know, the bad person in the relationship who cheats and the you know, their comeuppance and all the rest of it. It's the old trope that's been going on for years and years and years. It's always seen as a bad thing that somebody's had a relationship, they end up splitting up, blah, 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 all the rest of it. Um, and River City, which is a Scottish soap opera that's been going for about 10, 15 years, probably longer than that, actually, um, recently actually tackled the issue of um, non-monogamy, um, a, a, a man and a woman who... The woman really wants a monogamous relationship. The bloke had been very open with her that he didn't he wasn't into monogamy uh, but wanted a relationship with her um, but it failed in the end because she just couldn't cope with it but at least tackled it for the first time I've never seen that before and I think that needs praising the fact that you know and they carried on as friends and all the rest of it and what I want to see now is a situation in one of the mainstream programs that everyone lots of people watch that actually shows an open relationship properly. That's what we need. So, so yeah. people can understand that that's what pe- some people do. And it's not all about cheating. And it's like it's like anything, isn't it? You know, my mum got used to the whole issue of me being LGBT through, um, you know, 
characters in soap back in the back in the eighties and nineties. If there hadn't been for that, I don't think she'd have accepted it at the beginning. You know what I mean? So we just need those little things to start happening, and it will it will you know make people's lives a bit more comfortable. But um, but we just need if with bisexuality, we just need some sustainability. We need somebody to be there <laughs> long enough to actually gain a character and become something important. Right, right. We do, we do. And it's interesting looking at, you know, you get the odd film, you got the odd drama where someone is bisexual, but sometimes that bisexuality evolves within the series. They don't maintain... It's interesting that you'll often have a consistently gay character, but you won't have a consistently bi character. And I think, you know, I just think about that on a personal level in my everyday life. Since I've got married, I have made more of a point of saying I'm bisexual because... It's important to me to keep that representation going for me and for everybody else. That's how I feel about it. And we just need to be able to normalise that because like I've got a couple of friends recently who who would have said they were bi to me, but weren't out necessarily and have now gone into so-called straight relationships. And now they absolutely won't identify as bi. But it doesn't mean that their sexuality has changed. It just means that they've chosen to be with a straight, a straight person. You know what I mean? So I just always find that a bit frustrating. It's their personal choice. Of course it is. But it's interesting watching it happen. One of the things we were asking while you were away on Twitter and whatever we talked about a little bit in the last show was the issue of of how many people you can count on one hand or two hands or whatever who you know who are actually bisexual. And and both Lewis and I couldn't count many at all, um, even though we're in the situation we're in, in terms of people we really know. Um, And we we spoke, you know, we we put it on Twitter and quite a lot, I think the most somebody said was 10 or something, uh, which I thought was amazing. But I think it was actually a lot of the people were people they knew through through social media rather than somebody that actually had proper contact with. But that's an issue, isn't it? That fact that you can't actually properly reach out and go and sit and talk to somebody who happens to share the same sexuality it's very hard you can't you can't go and knock on somebody's door or knock on a you know go into a pub and find somebody very easily what about you then nikki how many people would you say that you really know who are actually bisexual so interesting i would say only three and then you two so five so i'm still on one hand and that that is ridiculous i've been doing this work saying this stuff for more than 10 years and that's all i've got in my community of people that i actually genuinely know there are people i know that i've met through pride or business or socials but in terms of people that i actually hang out with yeah that's it yeah it's amazing isn't it it's really i mean it's quite and it's quite scary in a way because um we need that support so you need that emotional connection with people and if you can't get that it's it's causes problems i mean i know we're you me and lewis are in a situation whereby we're you know we're pretty together we're pretty settled all the rest of it but even 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 being in that situation there are things we've missed in our lives that we, because we've not been able to connect in that way, aren't there? You know what I mean? Absolutely. I, I just think, and I just look back at my 20s now and think about all the difficulty I had with identifying my sexuality and coming out to my family, even though they were really liberal and all that stuff. And if I just had any, if we'd had just, just had a single person in my life that had been by, it would have really helped me massively to do all that stuff and to just have someone to talk through uh, at what point is it good to come out? When do you talk about a new relationship? When do you decide to use the label? Like, you know, what do you need to get comfortable with? All that stuff. It's just, it's it's interesting that now I have people in my life that will come to me and say, you know what, I actually, I, I am bisexual, but I don't want to use the word. And so I also feel quite honoured when people feel they can. But that's because I have to 
bang on about being bi all the time in order to help them kind of things. So when people are saying, oh, well, you just shut up banging on about it. It's like, well, there's a reason for it. It's because all these other people are so desperate to say it and they just dead and... Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Now, in a moment, we'll, we'll get on with our bisexual journey story for this particular uh, programme. Uh, we're talking to somebody in Hong Kong. Um, it should all be very interesting. But before we do that, Lewis, um, I didn't come to you the uh, last couple of minutes because you've been so busy in the background there. You've been in and out of the door, around the all over the place. What, what's, what's, what's Maisie up to? What's she doing? I know. I am listening um, and I'm very much <laughs> present. But yeah, she just had a bit of a, a temper tantrum. So I've caved in and given her the one thing I know will always keep her quiet, baby wipes. Ah, so now okay. just pulling all the baby wipes out of the out of the pack and having a little look. So that we're good for like another half an hour now. I just <laughs> it's just a waste of baby wipes, but desperate times. I did think, Lewis, you were going to say the t- the infamous tablet, the notorious tablet, and I was like, because there are parents that do give their very small children tablets now, you know, from a very young age, aren't there? And I totally understand why you would do it when you get to the point of no return. <laughs> Yeah, I'm. I'm a bit. Te- you know, I do. I'm not the biggest fan of technology, so I want to keep her away from tech as long yeah. as possible. That said, she's always trying to get my phone off me, but she. Oh, she doesn't want the phone. She's realised that my bank card is in the back, so she keeps getting the phone. She's ripped the thing that the bank card is in now, and she just likes to have Daddy's bank card. So that might be an indication <laughs> of things to come. That does not bode well at, we- at all. Like, what is going to happen with that? Well, as soon as she realises what it can actually do. You're going to have the same problem with, pup- with the puppy. The puppy will have things that he wants to grab off oh, you. Oh, yeah, yeah. It. I mean, I've made a rule. I do have the odd expensive handbag and pairs of shoes, and they've already been stored very high up because I'm, I'm, I've got to do that from day dot. But I actually think if you choose something, I probably wouldn't be that annoyed. That's how that's how much I love him already. Aww. A bit weird. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Well, we'll be, we'll be back shortly with more. But uh, first of all, uh, after this break, we'll have our bisexual journey story for this time. Bisexual brunch is produced with love by MIM. And if you like what we do, why not support us on Patreon? Visit patreon.com forward slash bisexual brunch. Thank you. Suicide is sadly something which affects people from all backgrounds. I am a journalist and broadcaster and I'm 37 years old. I live in London with my husband. I'm originally from West Yorkshire. About five years ago, I had a single episode of psychosis which led to suicidal ideation. I'm Devan Rees and I've been an actor for over 10 years. And some of you might know me from playing your law on a Welsh soap called Poblacom. And this is Life Matters. Brought to you by the Zero Suicide Alliance. We'll have our personal story from bisexual journalist Nikki Hodgson. I certainly felt like I can't live like this anymore. I don't think I was supported very well looking back. They didn't really look at the stress. They didn't really look at some things that were going on at home that weren't particularly great and my relationships with my parents at that time. Our aim with these shows is to discuss solutions and raise awareness of very important issues which touches many of us. This is Life Matters with Dovan Rees, radio presenter Daryl Morris and Professor Alice Roberts. Listen within your podcast provider by searching for Life Matters and visit zerosuicidealliance.com for a free online awareness course that could help you save lives. You're listening to the Bisexual Brunch Podcast. Hi, my name's Aaron Safir. Uh, I'm a former Londoner uh, who now lives in Hong Kong. I got here a few months ago with my wife. 
Fabulous. Well, before we talk about bisexuality, that must have been quite a baptism of fire going to a new country uh, in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, but you survived, you're coping and you come out the other side and uh, everything's going well, yeah? Yeah, we're doing we're doing all right. I mean, it was quite a big change, but it, it, it did happen quite slowly in a way because of COVID, I guess. So um, by the time my wife, by the time we kind of accepted the job offer that my then girlfriend had uh that was kind of midsummer and she got to hong kong in november uh i had to do three weeks in dubai uh in early in the early part of this year and then three weeks hotel quarantine so we were reunited in uh just at the end of february which yeah by last year's standards wasn't too bad but yeah it, it was a big old change but yeah quite drawn out we keep hearing about people having to go into quarantine and everyone thinks, oh, dread, the, dread that happening to them kind of thing. What was it like? How did you cope? Do you know, I was fine. Um, I think it was partly when I, when I kind of closed the hotel room door behind me, I was just relieved because I knew, you know, I wasn't going to get turned away at the border because of some visa issue. They weren't going to cancel my flight. You know, I didn't, I tested negative for COVID on arrival at the airport, so that wasn't an issue. So once I got in the hotel room, I was like, well, it's just three weeks now and we'll see each other. Uh, and my wife came and stood outside my window most days and we sort of had a chat on the phone um, with me sort of seven floors up and she brought me beer and coffee. Um, and yeah, you know, look, I, you know, I was in a good place. Um, and I think three weeks on my own in a, had I not been in such a good place, you know, I'm sure it's, it can be really difficult for a lot of people, but I'm quite happy in my own company. I, you know, I just did lots of admin and it was nice. I caught up with old friends. It was fine, really. Good stuff, good stuff. It's just interesting to know because it's obviously something everyone hears about and everyone's thinking about a lot at the moment and it's going to carry on for some time, isn't it? Um, so let's talk about bisexuality. In the last sort of six months or so, since we, well, it's nearly a year, I think, since we started Bisexual Brunch, we've been sort of inundated. When I say inundated, it's not like every day, but I would say every week we get uh, two or three people who contact us from different parts of the world um, saying how much they like the fact that we're doing bisexual brunch and that they've got somewhere to hear and to have conversations about um, being bisexual. Now, I think we're slightly... I don't think we're shocked by that in the sense that we knew that there were more people out there than we thought, in a way. Um, but I suppose we're slightly um, surprised in the sense that we get the impression, don't we, in the world that we live in today, certainly in, in a lot in the, in the West, that everyone's moved on and that, um, you know, everyone's embracing different kinds of sexuality and gender and pronouns and all these different things. And you don't think mm -hmm. that actually underneath it all, really, there are a lot of people who are still struggling or aren't open about things, find it difficult to embrace the word bisexual, etc., um, just reflect on that a little bit, because I know you're a you're, you're a journalist like like I am, and um, I've probably noticed things over time. Um, but also in the context of yourself, because you're you're bisexual, you can tell us your your journey story. But you know, where do you think we are in terms of people communicating this word bisexual and actually understanding it? Um, I feel sort of left behind, really. I think you know, there's been so much progress. Um, over the last, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 years in like in Western countries, in many countries, um, 
so much more visibility for the kind of LGBT family. Um, and it feels like that, that bisexual story just never really got told and it never really got understood. So I think for me growing up in, you know, in the 90s and the, the early 2000s, you know, I, I, I just can't think, I, you know, I, I can remember quite clearly sort of, you, I remember quite clearly people, famous people, whoever, and knowing about them being bisexual, because for me that was so unusual to hear or see about them. Um, and I think, you know, I think to an extent that's still the case now. It's, it's, and especially in the last few years when so much more conversations started to be, there's the so many more conversations now um, about kind of broadening the LGBT family even more, um, trans issues and kind of more issues around identity. And that's great that all those conversations are now happening. And, you know, I'm sure in a few years from now, people will be even more comfortable, but it still feels like, yeah, those kind of, those bisexual voices just got lost along the way. And I don't know why that is, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to tell. Let's go back then to the beginning for you. When did you first realize or even contemplate the fact that you might be bisexual, do you think? Um, I think a lot later than I, I think I had, I recognized that I was attracted to both guys and girls a lot, lot earlier than I ever kind of used the term bisexual. And at some point I did, and it just, it just kind of clicked. I was like, oh, right, that's what I am. Now I understand. So I can, I can kind of remember, you know, I can remember same sex attraction really as, as early as opposite sex attraction. And over the course of my life, you know, up until uh, five or six years ago, I don't think I used the word bisexual all the term. And I, you know, I was basically just very confused, I think. And I, I you know, would have encounters with guys and girls and relationships. And at the time, I think most of the time I just, yeah, I just didn't know and I wasn't sure. And I, I thought, well, just because I'm with a guy now, that doesn't necessarily mean I'm gay. And just because I'm with a woman now, that doesn't mean I'm straight. And even though the answer was kind of right in front of me, it just it just didn't click. Did that cause you problems at that time? Because I think that is part of the problem, isn't it? With with the issue of of, of, of bi erasure <laughs> and, and bi invisibility and whatever, that you do actually think to yourself that, you know, this this thing about being confused, which is nonsense, really, because you weren't confused. You were, you actually were, you know, nothing confusing about it. You like men and women. But the fact that there is that notion there that you might be confused and there's nothing else to hang on to and you don't see any examples and whatever, it must have a an effect on you day to day and on those relationships that you're in as well at that particular point. Oh, yeah, I think so. Absolutely. I mean, I think, um, yeah, I think fundamentally I, I wasn't sure who I was. And I think that and there were other reasons for that, you know, my my sort of uh, my mid to late 20s were quite difficult in other ways because my father had passed away and I'd um, had quite a sort of sudden return to the UK. I'd lived abroad for a bit and was suddenly back in the UK and kind of grieving and looking for work. And, you know, so they were I think they were going to be difficult years for me. Um without an extra element of, of sort of confusion and kind of an unresolved question mark at, at sort of 
quite a central point in my identity. And yeah, that that confusion and that self-doubt kind of it can permeate into everything. I think it affected my professional life. I think it it affected my ability to kind of make uh, maintain and make romantic relationships. Um, yeah, it was, you know, I think when you're that unsettled and just questioning about something inside of yourself like that, it, you, it can be very hard for that not to sort of spread into other things. Did you ever talk to, this is, I'm talking about the partners before your current partner, did you ever talk to them about the fact of how you felt and how you might be bisexual or was it something that you just didn't feel you could talk about? Um, I did actually to, you know, to differing degrees. I don't think I've ever been in a relationship with someone with whom I didn't uh, express that I, you know, was either, yeah, was effectively bisexual. Um, I, but I, again, I suppose, you know, if that was, if that was a conversation happening in my university years or, you know, in, in the years afterwards, then I probably was, I mean, I definitely wasn't as clear. My understanding just wasn't where it is now and my comfort with it. So it was, it wasn't as kind of a, a full and kind of mature and developed conversation that that I'm capable of having now because I was still sort of fumbling around a bit I mean it didn't and I don't think it had you know some people are more accepting and comfortable than others but um, it wasn't I mean I've had unpleasant reactions in the kind of dating scene but not in sort of within relationships I'd say well that's good that's interesting that you didn't have that because we've spoke to quite a few men who Men in particular who've been, you know, who've, whose wives or girlfriends have been completely horrified by the whole, the whole mm. situation. So when you, when it comes to to men and women, this is just a very sort of basic question, really. How do you see your attraction to men and women? You know, do you, you know, people often talk about being fifty fifties. You know, some people think about that. Other people say they're they're actually probably more emotionally attached to women more than men, or vice versa. How do you? Because everybody's bisexuality is completely different. Where where do you think you sit in that? That and obviously it evolves, doesn't it? it? Can do. Yeah, it's funny. I think you know if you'd asked me that a few years ago, and actually you know people would ask me that. It really used to wind me up. I really used to hate that question. I was like, well, what does it matter? What does it mean? It's not a numbers game. It's not all about sex. And now I'm like, well, it is kind of about, I mean, it is about sex. You know, obviously it is about your kind of desire um, and what you find attractive. Um, yeah, I think, you know, the, the, the way I've come to measure it is uh, <laughs> I, I feel like I'm, I notice if I'm walking down the street, I kind of, notice i find an equal number of men and women and that's the kind it's a very crude way of of talking about it but when it comes to desire i think that's essentially it i think emotionally i've learned that i'm i think i'm more drawn to a kind of emotional relationships with women um but you know i think you know who knows where life goes you know i think uh getting to a point where I kind of was as comfortable in my mind with the idea of a kind of a long-term committed relationship with a guy uh, when I was as comfortable with the idea of that as with a woman then you know it all kind of gets a lot easier after that point I'm not um, I'm not sort of racked by um, 
fear or you know sadness or anxiety about what might have been uh, I'm quite comfortable with kind of recognizing that you know I've met my life partner and it it's it's her and that's fine by me well let's talk a little bit about that so you're in this relationship now which is great fantastic what did you you know tell us a bit about that and and how you um revealed or talked about your sexuality and how she reacted and i don't know what the situation is with her whether she's bisexual herself i don't know tell us a little bit about that set us give us the give us the um the, the you know the the the, the crux of your relationship and how it all began and how obviously you've become very comfortable yeah. in that yeah we um i mean i think we've talked about this a fair bit actually and i think so we worked together um and we were part of a group of friends we were friends before we got together and so Rebecca was kind of used to being in the pub and hearing my sort of dating stories and used to hearing my dating stories with guys and girls so um I think I think the fact that she kind of knew that about me before we were even you know anywhere near a romantic in a romantic relationship uh, I think that was very good for us. Uh, I'd had not long before we got uh, a short while before we got together. I'd I'd kind of had a, a very an unpleasant sort of dating situation where I'd I'd been seeing a girl for a short while, and that kind of conversation about your previous relationships happened, which you know it kind of needs to at some point as you start seeing someone. And she reacted very badly to the kind of news that I'd I'd been with guys, and you know. Uh, looking back I was quite upset by that um, and I remember telling that story in the pub and to some work colleagues and people being very nice and supportive and Rebecca especially so um, so yeah the fact that she kind of knew that about me I think was, has been really important to us um, and it just means you know it essentially just means I can kind of be my my full self with her um, so you know it I mean, it's it's something we talk about, and we were we were at a thing recently with it was it was like a gay event. There was a lot of gay guys there, and you know she has fun sort of asking me, you know, what kind of guy I'm into, and you know she knows my type as well as I do by now, I think. Um, and yeah, it's it's. And how do, how, do, how does that, how does that feel to have a woman that you're in a relationship with saying to you? Um, you know, who do you fancy and whatever? I mean, I, I mean, it, it's just I'm not. I'm not. I know there are people in relationships where that happens, and and but but generally it doesn't, does it? So you know, I'm sure there are people listening to this who are bisexual men in in you know straight facing relationships who would love to be in that situation where the wife is asking them questions like that. How does it? How does it feel? I mean, did you when she first asked you something like that? Was it quite difficult to deal with <laughs> yeah I was definitely quite shy about it with her I mean as 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 much as like I said she knew it about me and I didn't make a secret of it it, it has been something that we've only been able to talk about and share in more depth as we've kind of as that relationship the wider relationship has, has built and developed and yeah I was really shy at first telling her those kind of things and I still am sometimes now um but ultimately you know it, basically it feels lovely it's just it's it's very very nice to just not have to feel that something is hidden or shameful or unusual it's um yeah it's 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 a lovely feeling and she's straight is she 
Me and basically, yeah, right, more okay. or less. <laughs> You're working on that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and how do you feel in terms of, yeah, I, I know that being uh, bisexual, we discuss this a lot, don't we? Being bisexual isn't about wanting to go around and sleep around everywhere, although there's nothing wrong with that, and straight and gay people do that as well. Um, but there mm. is an impression, isn't there? If you're bisexual, you must be wanting to jump into everybody's bed constantly. We know that that's not the case, and people can have monogamous relationships. But equally, um, and I'm in a long-term relationship as well, there is part of you, isn't there, that is still... You might be able to go around and just fancy somebody down the street but not do anything about it. But there is part of you that's curious or can be curious sometimes about doing something with regards to that. How have you coped with that in your mind and how do you see that going? I mean, there are people who say, well, you just cannot be, you know, for the whole life, your whole life, you can't literally be, you know, just be one, with one person. It's just not natural. And there are other people who say, well, actually, you can. You know, where do you sit on that? And, and do, you, do you have, you know, is that something you've discussed together or...? Yeah, I mean, it's, um, I think we, I think we know our, you know, we're quite, we're not really been, not been that long together. Uh, so <laughs> it's going to be three years in a couple of weeks. Uh, and we're even, you know, not very long married either. Um, so it's not, it's something we've kind of talked about and really not wanted to rush into. Um, and I think we kind of understand and both feel that anything in that, department is kind of has to be designed around our mutual pleasure and kind of desire as a as a unit as a couple um because i don't you know and like you said there's loads of there's so many different ways of doing it and not casting aspersions on any other ways of doing it but for us being kind of emotionally um monogamous is kind of that's just how we operate. So neither of us is really interested in kind of a, a polyamorous situation. And I think when it comes to kind of, you know, just sexual stuff, yeah, we, that, whatever we do, we'll, we'll do as a kind of a unit. And we don't really, I mean, we're just, we're only just got married. We don't feel like in a terrible rush to, to do any of that. We're still sort of enjoying each other's company and, relieved to be back together after four months apart absolutely but it is great isn't it and i'm in a similar kind of situation it's great to be in a relationship where you can actually communicate those things and it must be awful yeah. to be in a situation where you can't <laughs> communicate those things apparently there is a an organization well not not so much an organization but a, a a lifestyle which we discussed actually in this show earlier on uh listeners will have heard uh, called ethical non-monogamy have you heard of this there's a there's a lifestyle called ethical non-monogamy that goes on now where basically similar to what we've been talking about really where people basically you know talk about um doing other doing other things with other people but there's various rules that are set down all the rest of it i mean it's a bit difficult isn't it sex, sex sexuality and rules are quite hard sometimes to to, to keep up because jealousy i'm sure is going to come into the equation somewhere online but what i'm saying is that you know as we move on in society that you know people are starting to you know understand these things that actually human beings are human beings and it's not you know, you watch soap operas and every time that somebody has an affair, it's, oh, my God, shock horror, they've cheated. They're a dreadful person kind of thing. When actually, you know, um, it seems that people more widely are starting to accept that human beings are human beings, you know, at the end of the day. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think um, you've got to, you know, there's kind of what you're taught and what society kind of broadly mainstream society believes. And 
you can hold on to those beliefs if they work for you. But I think, um, you know, one of the good things about living in the ages in the time that we do is that it is now acceptable for a lot of people to kind of stop and consider those things and go, well, yeah, the kind of monogamous relationships work for some people, but maybe they maybe that's not who I am and what what I want with this person. So there's there's nice there's nice freedom there i think uh if you can take it absolutely now just going back to the not so much the sexual side but just the whole issue of being able to accept that you're bi um it's not so much the the whole thing of actually having sex but the the, the, the acceptance that you recognize that you you know you under you 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 fancy men and women and different genders and whatever how important is it to you personally to a acknowledge that yourself obviously and to your partner but b for other people to understand it and to know it because there's been quite a lot of criticism recently in certain quarters whereby a celebrity might come out as whatever and you get people a backlash of why do they need to talk about it nobody's bothered anymore nobody's interested blah 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 so there's an there's, there's that side of things which i think is an inverted prejudice anyway that they they are bothered about it to an extent but you know, why is it important, do you think, for us to be able to express the fact that we are bisexual? Um, well, I think, you know, for, for an individual person, um, you know, most people want to be honest, right? And I, I I would always, you know, when you're kind of, I was single for most of my most of my 20s. And I, I would always remember going into different workplaces when I was freelancing. And, you know, you get to know people and you have conversations and people ask about you. And they go, you dating anyone? Got a girlfriend? And, you know, if I was single at the time, I would, once I knew the person a little, I would always kind of make the point of saying, well, no, I don't have a girlfriend. I don't have a boyfriend either. You know, that that was always important for me to kind of be clear about that because, you know, you want to be, you want to be honest and you want to be straightforward. Um, and the more comfortable I've kind of, the more I've sort of grown into and become more comfortable with my sexuality, the more willing I am to kind of offer that up. Um, I mean, if only as an icebreaker and it, you know, actually sometimes depending on the circles you're moving in, it can be sort of mildly shocking um, to people. And I, you know, I'm, I'm, I like that. Um, but there's a broader point about visibility too. Like I was saying earlier, you know, I, I, every time I saw someone or heard of someone who was bisexual, you know, that was a really big moment for me. And I think you know if if more people who if there are more people expressing their bisexuality more comfortably then other people at different stages in their journey are going to see that and hopefully take some some comfort from that I mean you know, I do like I said I don't sit around and wonder what if very much but I do sometimes think if I'd known and had a really clear picture of kind of what a happy bisexual person could be when I was a lot younger you know, I, I might have kind of reached this destination sooner. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, do you think that um, you work in similar industries as we do and um, we've obviously come come on a long way in terms of coverage and uh, acceptance of uh, LGBT as a whole mm. kind of thing, but there does still seem to be a little bit of a struggle, doesn't there, for, for, the, bi, for the B to get heard and the B to be communicated and I don't know what how you feel but I've always felt that it's because there's a the binary thing which we tend to have in the media as a whole everything's either one thing or the other but equally um there's just 
generally just because of the invisibility and everything that's that's continued it's it's self-perpetuating in a way because people just don't understand there's a general lack of understanding about what it means and what it what it is and it feels that we still haven't got over that really and when you see somebody emerge as a gay character sorry bisexual character in a soap opera or drama or whatever they're suddenly killed off very quickly or they're confused (laughs) and made made into made straight or gay or whatever because for some reason society doesn't seem to be able to deal with that complicated side you know why do you think that is i mean i think i think it's partly because um you can you know as a bisexual person you can pass for straight or gay a lot of the time um and so there's a kind of it's a bit like um yeah i think it's a it's a bit like sort of other other facets of identity which sometimes can be quite prominent and sometimes aren't so you know i'm most people would consider me white i don't really define myself as white but I can definitely pass for white so you know I'm kind of familiar with that feeling of being able to look around and kind of read the room and decide if I'm comfortable and safe and if so and then I can kind of raise that flag Um, so I think yeah I think there's that and I guess you know we do sit outside of the kind of mainstream in that sense most people i mean I, I don't know i deep down i think most people are fairly bisexual but most people don't identify as bisexual these days most people still identify as straight and a, and a smaller number identify as gay um and i think there's no you know there's people just aren't sure what to do with us because we're kind of somewhere in the middle and our, our existence can challenge some very kind of well-established notions of of yeah, patriarchy and heteronormativity and nuclear families and all of that. Absolutely, absolutely. The more we embrace bisexuality and the more we hear about bisexuality, I think the more people's understanding of their own sexuality generally will evolve, won't it? Because they'll mm-hmm. be able to accept or, or at least challenge or understand all because we've all got you know male and female attributes of different kinds and different ways of you know and it's going to be interesting isn't it over time to see that sort of develop really um i think i think we're at the very early stages of the of the sort of bisexual sort of uh enlightenment as it were um but interesting though i'm doing this podcast with nikki and lewis and um, I've been working in LGBT sort of journalism to an extent for quite a while on and off. Um, and I can tell you now, I still only know properly about five people, probably less than that, probably about four people who are actually bisexual. And now that's the scary bit, isn't it? That you, we can't, we haven't got that connection, proper connection yet. How many people do you think you know who are genuinely bisexual? You could talk, if you could ring somebody up tomorrow, would you, is there anybody you could ring up and talk to? If you had to, um, I've recently made a friend who defines herself as as bisexual, um, and I know of a couple of other people, but certainly nobody in my sort of close circle of of friends or acquaintances. Um, yeah, there's just um, you know, I mean, I suppose you know, there's going to be people who will have had same sex and an opposite sex. Uh, experiences and maybe even relationships you maybe don't define as bi I suppose but um no not many people 
yeah, it's going to take a while for us to get to that point whereby we can ever say that there is a a bisexual community, as it were. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. You know, we're, we're often lumped in, aren't we, with the LG and T, etc. And there's also tensions there and has been for quite a long time on and off in terms of the B doesn't necessarily always get the representation within that. Mm. Um, there are a lot of bisexual uh, people, um, many in particular in terms of my, my experience, who don't feel necessarily comfortable within the LGBT sort of pubs and bars and things like that um, because it take, takes them a lot longer, I suppose, to work out where they are in terms of their head, in terms of what they like and don't like and who they are and all that kind of thing. So there's all these sort of challenges, aren't there, still to sort of to sort of deal with, really. In fact, there was a, survey, a study came out recently about inter-minority stress and the fact that there are a lot of people who, not just bisexual people, but gay men or whatever, who feel uncomfortable in certain sort of areas, really. So there's a lot, there's a lot of challenges. Did, when, you were, when you were sort of uh, going out, meeting people kind of thing, did you find it comfortable on the, on the gay scene? Or, you know, where did you tend to sort of meet people, generally? Um, I mean, I think I... On the gay scene, I wasn't massively sort of into it. Um, I sort of dabbled from time to time. And I didn't find it an unwelcoming place to kind of talk about bisexuality. But to be perfectly frank, I wasn't really going there for the conversation. So <laughs> it didn't come up as much. Um, I mean, I've definitely, you know, I've met plenty of gay guys with whom I've had this kind of conversation and have I've come up against sort of you know frustrating attitudes um and that's a real shame um and it, it's especially a shame because you know you want to feel like you're part of a community and you know just as I was saying you know you can just because you can pass for straight it doesn't mean that you're not affected by the kind of issues that um the kind of the broader LGBT community has has had to f to fight for. So on the one hand, you feel this kind of solidarity with the person, and on the other, they don't quite sort of understand who you are or sort of recognise your your way of being. Um, but again, I think you're right. I think that is slowly changing, and I think the kind of um, both within the community and kind of outside of it, um, there is just a kind of broader understanding slowly taking hold but um yeah i mean i've had i mean yeah I, I don't know how many i can tell you the sort of horror stories if you like but you know yeah go for it <laughs> yeah i mean um i i once went on a date with a girl who i'd met on a one of the dating apps and you know met after work went for a drink and um I don't know how the I don't know how it came up because it wouldn't normally be something that I would ever mention on a first date. But if I was asked I always had a policy if I was asked a direct question I didn't want to be dishonest and so somehow it came up and I was like, Yeah, you know, and I I've slept with guys or I don't know if I talked about dating a guy or sleep with a guy. And I mean, she gave me a look like I just sort of farted very loudly or spat in her soup or whatever and freaked out and how could you you know it's really deceptive of you to kind of not tell me this before we went on a date and that's terrible I mean it was on my dating profile you know so it was there in black and white but I mean she she got up and left and you know sort of stormed out of a restaurant um and it you know at the time it was I was kind of mortified and embarrassed and the, the manager came over and 
gave me a drink on the house because he could see I looked pretty shocked. Um, and, you know, it was a funny story to tell to friends later, but actually it was it was really upsetting. It was horrible. Um, that's a, you know, it's a very unpleasant way to, to behave to someone. Um, I had another thing a few years later where I, I was, yeah, dating dating a girl we've been seeing each other for a little bit and again that conversation about previous relationships came up um and yeah we weren't dating for very long after that you know she just found it very um she just couldn't couldn't handle it couldn't compute um and didn't express herself i don't think particularly admirably about it but you know we will make mistakes um and what about with men? What about with men? Have they, how have they react generally? Uh, I've had a bit of sort of suspicion and perhaps uh, not being um, yeah, sort of uh, just incomprehension, I suppose, rather than sort of, you know, unpleasantness, I guess. Um, my, my, yeah. exper- my experience with men has been that they've either gone down the route of saying that's nonsense, you're, you're, you're obviously gay... Yeah, there's no such thing as bisexuality. I've had that a few times. Or it's completely the other way, whereby they sort of fetishize the prospect of having any kind of sex with a bisexual person. It's like, oh my God, that's really exciting. <laughs> it's, quite, it's quite weird, really. It's the same thing with straight men who I find sometimes get quite fascinated, even though they're, even though they're straight. Yeah. They get quite fascinated by what gay men or bisexual men do in the bedroom. You know what I mean? It's a weird one, really. I mean, I think... I've definitely found that with, you know, with straight guys who kind of, you know, I can be kind of camp and flirtatious when I'm in the mood. Um, and there is a certain kind of, uh, you know, ostensibly straight guy who, who really loves to flirt with uh, a gay guy or a bisexual guy. And, you know, usually it's kind of well-intentioned and kind of innocent. Um, yeah, I think I, I've, I've encountered people for whom you become a sort of an object of, of exoticism. Um and you know that can be fun or it can be tedious i suppose depending on a bunch of stuff absolutely so why did you decide to contact us and to talk to us what what, why did you think it was important to to sort of communicate and to talk about your own bisexual story um well i'm a huge fan of the podcast so um (laughs) thank you for all you're doing um and keep on doing it um i think yeah i think i've just i've it's partly about just being at a point in my sort of life and in my journey where I, you know, not only am I kind of comfortable and happy about it and kind of sorted, um, but, you know, I, I feel like I want to sort of spread that message almost and kind of, um, you know, not quite shout it from the rooftops, but yeah, kind of, you know, and I think, um, you know, like I've said a couple of times now, there's so, you know, I really felt not knowing other bi people when I was younger um, was a shame. And it's something I wish I'd, I'd known about and understood much earlier in my life. So, yeah, that's why I'm quite kind of comfortable and happy and willing to do stuff like this now. I mean, I had a job where I wasn't really supposed to be... Um, particularly involved in kind of issues of public debate I I don't think LGBT issues really would have fallen under that umbrella but I I kind of like to play it safe and I I didn't I'm not normally one to kind of 
share my views on x y and z in a kind of public sphere I'm not, i don't really do much on social media really so you know there was a kind of a general just like of privacy i suppose but yeah it's 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 you know most days now i sort of think i think being bisexual is bloody great i mean you know what more could you want in life than to kind of have a decent shot at finding most people attractive. <laughs> well, that's what I was, that's what I was going to ask you as the final question, which I've asked a few times on these in interviews, is what do you think is the best thing about being bisexual? I think it does open up a kind of different perspective on the world. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, because on the one hand, yeah, obviously it's kind of fundamentally and primarily a, a sexual concern and issue and thing. Um, and that is lovely. That's like I said, it's great to kind of be able to see people, a lot of different people, and sort of appreciate them in a in, a, in that sexual way. Um, but yeah, there's some there is a kind of broader understanding of the world that I think you can gain from. Maybe it's just not by being so narrowly confined by kind of heterosexuality, and I think it just opens the mind a bit and. And do you think, yeah. I mean, that the thing we've not we've not discovered yet, because obviously it's still early days in the bisexual understanding of everything, but we've discussed it a few times with Nikki and Lewis and I, uh, do you think maybe there is a, 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 a obviously you can't generalise, but do you think there's a, there could be a bisexual mindset in some respects? So where, you know, when it comes to sexuality, we obviously see things in a nuanced, fairly nuanced way. And I wonder, we wonder if that travels into culture, into politics, into other things as well, in terms of our general understanding of the world. I'm not saying, I'm not trying to say we're, we're more superior, <laughs> although yeah. of course we are. Uh, but, uh, but you know what I mean? Do you think that, I wonder if there's a correlation? I mean, do you think there might be? Yeah, I think there is something in that, like I said, that ability to kind of see things from different points of view and to kind of identify with, um, with kind of, you know, straight heteronormative culture and a kind of a gay culture as well. Um, you know, I think fundamentally being able to, cons you know, if you're, let's say you are into monogamy, um, being able to like picture your life with someone of the same sex or picture your life of, with somebody of the opposite sex, you know, that's quite a liberating kind of thought experiment to be able to carry out that most people can't. Or don't want to um so yeah i'm not sure exactly what it would be beyond a kind of a broadening a, um, i'm not quite sure what it would be beyond broader perspectives on the world but yeah there's something there i think we'll find out we'll find out one day i'm sure slowly but surely and i suppose i know i keep saying this is the final one, but this is the final question that's right what do you yeah. hope what do you hope that people are listening to this will get from hearing your conversation with me today because you know you've mentioned it and I've mentioned it that we we both suspect there is a lot more people out there who are bisexual and at different age ages you're not just young people but people who've been hiding things for years and all the rest of it what do you hope people might get out of um, our chat today I suppose if there's anyone kind of listening who just doesn't quite know where they are and kind of what being bisexual would mean to them um, and what it looks like in, in like in practice in real life um, you know the you guys having different people on to talk about their stories I you know I really hope that helps because there's going to be as many different stories as there are people and um, 
everyone's going to do it slightly differently. But yeah, here I am, you know, and, and here we all are. And we've kind of been through our journeys and got to where we are. Um, and I think if, if people listening can kind of recognize, if they're curious and they don't know and they're not sure if bisexuality exists, then they can listen to our conversation and know that it does and it's a nice place to be. And you can be a happy bisexual. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> chances are, you know, happiness is hard work. So if it's not your sexuality that's uh, giving you trouble, it might be something else. So uh, Absolutely, absolutely. Aaron, <laughs> thank you very much indeed. That's fantastic. Thank you. No worries. Thank you very much. It's been lovely talking. Bisexual Brunch is produced with love by MIM. And if you like what we do, why not support us on Patreon? Visit patreon.com forward slash bisexual brunch. Thank you. In a few minutes, Nikki Lewis and I will continue our bisexual conversation for this episode. But before that, I'd like to give a nod to some LGBT interviews, reunions and drama, which you can find on our sister podcast, Distinct Nostalgia. There's loads of stuff on there. And from this weekend, there's an interview with Neil Jordan, who was the screenwriter and director of the 1992 multi-Oscar nominated Brit flick The Crying Game. With gender, sexuality and politics at its heart, it was very much about identity. So I wrote the script. It was about race. It was about sexuality. It was about political violence. It was about captivity. It was about the Stockholm Syndrome. It was about guilt. I showed it to Steve Woolley, my producing partner, and we set about trying to finance it. And it was nobody wanted to finance it. It was very difficult to finance, you know. And it was really interesting, actually, why it was so difficult, because... Um, at the time, the fact that the soldier was black, yeah, was as big a barrier to people's acceptance of the, the possibilities of the movie as was the fact that there was, you know, a transsexual element in it, you know. And uh, it was really weird. And it's really weird in these days of... Um, Black Lives Matter and all that sort of stuff, to realize what extraordinary resistance there was to even kind of broaching the idea of race, you know, in, in, in a movie, in a British or Irish movie. Not, not to talk about an American one. It, it, it was always terribly difficult to, to broach those ideas in an American film, you know. So that's Neil Jordan speaking there to me for distinct nostalgia. And you can also hear a History Boys reunion in which the actor Samuel Barnett, who's gay himself, talks about how the character of Posner in the Alan Bennett film and previous Broadway hit had a huge effect on him and his career. It does get in by osmosis and it starts to become part of you whether you realise it or not. And I played that character for two and a half years, um, you know, including the film and, and the world tour and all that. And when it ended, I was 27 years old and I started playing that when I was 24 years old. Um, and when I stopped playing it at the age of 27, it's like I grew up because I'd been playing this 17-year-old, angsty, screwed-up, pain-ridden, confused child. And I didn't realise until after I'd stopped playing it what an effect that had had on me emotionally and psychologically. And um, I mean, I even changed physically in the year after I stopped playing that. I, I sort of grew up, my body changed. People commented on how different I looked. And I just think the mind is an extremely powerful thing, isn't it? And I, I, I definitely related so much to what Posner was going through at school, you know, being in love with someone at school, someone who wasn't in love with him, all of that unrequited stuff and then there was plenty of stuff about Posner that wasn't me 
But I did just get him on such a gut level and a feeling level and an instinctive level straight away. As well as those History Boys and Crying Game interviews, you can also hear chats about LGBT films like My Beautiful Laundrette, The Talented Mr Ripley and Morris. That was the LGBT movie which launched the career of Hugh Grant. So there you go. Look up Distinct Nostalgia wherever you get your podcasts or go to distinctnostalgia.com. You're listening to the Bisexual Brunch Podcast. So Bisexual Brunch uh, continues with uh, Nikki Hodgson, Lewis Oakley and with me, Ashley Byrne. And uh, earlier we were talking about the whole thing of uh, coming out and being accepted as, um, as as bisexual and how a lot of people don't think we should be talking about it and everyone should be over it by now and sexuality is just somebody's private business and we were talking about how actually that is a form of prejudice in itself, um, etc., uh, Lewis, you've been causing some trouble yourself, haven't you, on social media? Tell us a bit more about that. Uh, when am I not? I barely even use social media anymore. Yeah, so this was a few weeks ago now. I'm a little over it. But basically, you know, you kind of go on Twitter and you're like, oh, I've got 20 plus notifications. What's being said? And what was being said was a load of hate by the Twitter bisexual community for an article I wrote two years ago. Um, that actually caused so much trouble at the time. And you know what? Enough time has passed now where I can actually be honest about what happened. So back in the day where I had um, a a weekly column for Gay Star News, one week I wrote an article looking at kind of what we've been talking about today, like how some people feel there is a lack of bisexual community. They don't have many bi friends and stuff. And you know what? I've actually gone back and read the article and I'm like, Other than the title, I think it's a damn good article. I stand by it. And what it basically is saying is like, maybe the reason gay and lesbian people have formed a community better is because they can't really date outside of their sexual orientation. Unless they're dating bi people, obviously. Whereas bi people, because we're we're dating straight, gay people, bi people, we just maybe haven't formed as much of a community. And maybe that's one element of of what's happened. I'm just going to pause for one sec. Lewis is now uh, dealing with baby. Right, she's okay, she's got the wipes again. Um, And so that was what the article was about. And what happened was basically, as I think maybe Nikki, you've probably got some experience with this. Nikki, maybe you've got some experience with this. Like editors, editors that are gay or straight will um, put their own spin on it. So when that article went live, the, the headline was something like, why, why is there no bisexual community or something like that? So then a lot of groups that were like, well, we have a bisexual community. We're very annoyed at the time. And at the time, I was in a bit of a, a tricky situation. So I was like, well, I can even throw a star news editor under the bus of like, that wasn't the title I put on it. And it's not even really what the article's about. Um, or I can just kind of suck this up keep, and keep my weekly column. And then that, you know, and then I've got more of an opportunity to talk about bisexuality. So it was a tricky one at the time. And I kind of just let it simmer down um but then you know the problem is this this is coming up two years later and and the truth is right i'm probably getting trouble for this but i do think there there are just a couple of accounts on twitter that are bisexual that don't like me which is fine like not everyone needs to like me and you know where it's kind of like you can take a bit of criticism here and there but it's like it seems to be everything i do i think you just don't really like me which is fine but my whole point is like if i can't write an article about bisexuality without the bisexual Twitter community telling me off. That's putting off for the young, the young um, bisexual activists that are up and coming. 
Okay. Yeah, I absolutely agree. One of the bugbears of my life is when you write an article and then the headline completely changes the context of it and the shape of it. And that has happened to me several times in my career. I also remember once when I had a column for men's health, a sex column, I uh, they, they put some words in my mouth in one of the columns and it was about sexual New Year's resolutions, which I didn't know they were doing. They just decided to use me as their little sexual expert without telling me. And one of the resolutions was cheat. And I would never advocate cheating, as we've just been talking about with the ethical non-monogamy stuff. It's always got to be about honesty. Anyway, slightly getting off the point, but what I'm trying to say is when you work in the media, I don't think loads of people understand that you don't have loads of control over the content that you produce sometimes when it's through another platform. And I do also agree with you, Lewis, that we have made a few enemies by this stage. Like I've definitely got people that absolutely categorically will disagree with every single thing I say, write, present, whatever. And you've just unfortunately become the target for certain people. And I actually think they're just probably jealous of you, to be honest. It's nearly always jealous, jealousy. And they're probably faceless, are they, as well? Like you don't really know who runs them. Yeah, exactly. Kind of faceless and just just angry and, and just not, it's like I'm putting effort in. I get that they are too. And you know what? They have more followers than me. so they're, they're doing... Right, so what's the problem? Like, why do they care? They're just trolling. I think there is a difference, though, um, with the types of by campaigning or by um, media that we're involved in. And there's not a lot of it, as we know. Um, but there are... When I say difference, I don't mean it has to be opposed. We have to be opposed to it, but I think there is a difference in approach. I think there are a certain amount of people who have been campaigning on buy issues for a long time, and it's done in a very either political or academic way. Um, and then I think we approach it in a slightly different way. I think we're a little bit more. It's very difficult to say it without without making it sound as though I'm trying to demean what they're doing. But I think we are a little bit more sort of, um, I suppose, down to earth in a way, I suppose. Um, you know, because I personally think that that academia side of things and the, the political side of things sometimes actually puts some people off who are bisexual and that they need to be drawn into dealing with their sexuality and talking about their sexuality in a much more sort of natural way, in, in a way. Do you know what I mean? I, I do find there are people out there who've got very much... Uh, a particular agenda and I'm not against necessarily against their agenda I think they you know in an ideal world but I do think it frightens some people away um who who ne don't necessarily want to be that political I mean let's face it you know even in the gay um, side of things not everybody who's gay is out there you know man in the barricades and whatever they're they're out for a good time a lot of the time you know what I mean they just want to live their lives and, and 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 we know from that study that we we looked at um, recently in America the, about the inter-minority stress side of things. You know, people go to LGBT bars or whatever and don't feel comfortable by certain things. You know what I mean? So I think that's part of it, Lewis. I think there is some of that going on. The fact that some people approach things in a particular way and they might not like the way you approach things. And and also the other thing is, which I've learned recently from <laughs> from doing several uh, in my, my day job, doing making some particular music programs, is that um, there the, are the people who don't like people being popular. You know what I mean? Sadly, they, they don't like it when certain people pop up and are, and are popular or are getting reactions and things. They can't cope with that. It's, it's back to the back to the little word jealousy, uh, Nikki. 
at the end of the day. That's the little word, jealousy. This, I mean, this sounds awful, but yeah, there are just some people that don't. Some people also don't like it when you're very confident giving your opinion because they're not. I've noticed this as well, doing obviously lots of broadcasting and debating over the years, that if I go on telly and argue a certain point, they will often say, oh, everything you said is ridiculous. But actually, all they want is to be heard themselves. And increasingly, social media is used as a tool for those people who can't express themselves. And so, but then they will use it as a place to kind of fight you. And I just always think, well, if you want to have a go at it, have a go at it, then, you know, swap careers. Have it. I mean, I'm no, I know it's not that simple, but if you want to debate, there's always a platform for you to debate on. Just if, if your voice is being heard, you generally don't talk over other people. That's something I've really learned in life. And I just think social media is a hotbed of people that aren't heard or feel that they're not heard. Totally. And, you know, it's a weird one because I don't think that there's really anything to be jealous of. Like, I just do my thing, you do yours. And you're more followers than me. What's the problem? I also do, I've, I've thought about this. So I'm like, I, I can't, I can't call it. I don't know. But I do think there is a certain type of people that also don't like to think of people of colour as having a, a more important voice than them. Like they're very much like, they like people of colour as pets. as like, oh, look at you. You've got a job and I'm so proud. I'm going to tweet about you did this and you're a person of colour. We wouldn't expect it. But the second they kind of ex- see a person of colour that is like doing something and they perceive it to be you might be doing it better than me, or you might have more authority on a subject than me, which is not the case, but it's, it's the perception. I think that that can sometimes get get you attacked. And that's kind of like what I've tried to work out here. It's like, is it is it that? I don't know. I think, Lewis, I think that's a really good point. And it's like something that you have to deal with that obviously me and Ash don't have to deal with, with being white, is that you've got an extra level of prejudice that you might be encountering and you'll never be able to get to the bottom of what they're actually bothered about because they're never going to admit it. And that must be just an absolute pain in the arse all the time having to think about, well, what do people hate me for? Yeah. I mean, look, at the end of the day, they can keep saying what they want. I think for me, it was like, if this was a new article, then I'd be like, fine. You've dug up a two-year-old article out of nowhere. And this is not the first time. This is like the second time an article that's years out of date has been like, we're going to just beat on you for this for no reason today. And I'm just like, it's not me. You know what? The bisexual community loses out because then I feel a little bit more like, oh, you know what? I'm just going to leave that topic alone because people aren't mature enough to have the discussion within the community. But then I do think the young up-and-comers, the young activists that are ready to get involved are like, I don't want to get involved in that. Like, look at this bi community. They all hate each other. And I don't want to get, like, hated like this. Why bother? I'll just keep doing what I'm doing by myself. So I think it's something we, you know, what? how can you address it? You can't tell. This is the one thing I've learned. I think there's a lot going on at the moment trying to teach people and regulate how to be a nice person. Um, And you can't teach people how to be a nice person. And you can't teach people how to campaign and be like, look, this is an issue where you need to DM them privately and say, look, I had a problem with this article and I'll speak to you. But obviously when it's like, you've got 20 notifications of all these people hate you. It's like, well, what do you think I'm going to do? I'm not, I'm never going to beta the mob because that wouldn't work anyway. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and when this article first went live and there was like, I was told I wasn't allowed to speak at Bicon anymore and I was canceled for this and you can't do that. Um, There were so many people that were tweeting like long lists of things about why this article was so outrageous that I didn't even write the headline for. Um, And I was like, so many of you, like some of you have have my number. You could just message me or call me and be like, oh, what happened with this article? One thing that really annoys me about the society we've got we've got to now and, you know, whether whatever your opinions are on anything, um, it's this whole thing of doing everything 
completely in public 24 7 um which i don't think necessarily always serves a purpose and i don't like this whole thing of calling people out all the time you know uh yes there are situations where i hate something that somebody said i loathe what they stand for whatever it may be but i actually don't think we get anywhere by this whole thing of call of calling people out i don't think it I don't think it actually works. And it certainly doesn't work in terms of trying to actually alter people's attitudes and opinions. I, I, I think it gets people's backs up even more and causes more division in society. I think we need do need to do more, like you say, um, Lewis, you know, needs to be more direct messages, you know, people actually talking to each other privately and separately and trying to work out their uh, their differences. I, I, I just think it's, um, I don't think it gets us anywhere at all. And I'll say, I think it's creating more, more division, actually. Um, and, and if it starts to happen within a community like the bisexual community, which isn't really much of a community, let's face it, in terms of reality, there's not many of us out there that identify within this this community. But if you've got a small group of people who are then split over various things, it's not helping anyone, is it, really, at the end of the day? I go back to what Nikki said about you can divide the whole of society into sociopaths, empaths <laughs> and psychopaths. And looking at, you know where it's like, oh, you hate me, but I've just gone onto your Twitter and it looks like you hate fucking everyone and you just are out for trouble. <laughs> like, it's like, you know what? Like, maybe I, like maybe being disliked by you is actually the best, like the biggest indication I'm on the right track. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. It makes me think about the old uh, Dominic Cummings session the other week when he's just hating on Boris and it's like, well, we know that a lot of this is going to be lies. There'll be some truth in it somewhere. And then equally, he's going to do the same to you. So, you know, you're as bad as each other, basically. Yeah, exactly. I mean, what annoyed me about that, I don't think we should go on about it too much because it's, it's taken us in a completely different direction. But what annoyed me about that was the fact that, again, with the media, they just took it all as gospel. Yeah. They didn't think, actually, you know what? Yes, he's doing it in a you know select committee or whatever. But this is a man who's been aggrieved by some, you know, he's in a, he's not happy, for God's sake. Yeah. You know I mean? Right, well, we're nearly towards the end of uh, this bisexual brunch. But Lewis, you've got something else you wanted to raise uh, at the moment. He's just busy with his daughter again. <laughs> um, yeah, so what was a really interesting thing this week was that um, the main actor from, you, if any of you've seen that 365 Days film, I'm sure Nikki's got some thoughts on women being held captive and being told if you don't fall in love with me in a year, you can go. Um, <laughs> I haven't seen this, but I've obviously got deep thoughts about it. I'm definitely going to be watching it. Anyway, so the main guy is a bit of a sex heart throb. You know, people love him as an actor. He's got millions of Instagram followers. It's all, it's all sexy. He posted a shirtless picture of another man the other day, um, tagging it, I'm a liar. And then that, that's it. And it was on the first day of Pride Month. Um, and basically searches, like searches for him being gay. There are like apparently eight breakout searches and just thousands of people being like, oh my God, he's gay and saying things like, um, you know, oh, we've lost another one, ladies. And my whole thing is like, well, he could be bisexual. He might be straight. He might be gay. Who knows? But why is it a shirtless picture has been posted and now it's definite that he's gay? Yeah, absolutely boggling and ridiculous, Lewis. I mean, I I don't understand as well why we aren't constantly saying, where are all the bi men, ladies, instead of, oh, we've lost another one. It's like, bring all the bi men together and champion them and be celebratory of them. I mean, you're not losing anything. It's just, it's like an awful way to think about humanity. There is still a problem there. Hold on, just drink that for a second. 
But I think it really does show that there is still a problem there. If you're a young bi guy looking at this, it's like, oh my God, this guy, it's not even a question, could he be bi? It's gay. It's gay, gay, gay. That is how the world perceives it. Google Analytics don't lie. You know, these trend, like all this stuff that's trending, it doesn't lie. This is how the world perceives it. Absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more. I think we need a bisexual amnesty. I think Ooh. we need an opportunity where people can come out anonymously, possibly, uh, or openly if they want to be, and they can admit to having been a bisexual at some point in their lives or whether they are at this particular point or whatever. Uh, but they can do it freely and openly and nobody's going to bat an eyelid. And I think that would really help to sort of, uh, well, to, to help normalise the whole issue of bisexuality how we'd go about that i don't know but I do, it's just come to me now a bisexual amnesty what do you think nikki i think that's a beautiful idea ash that's so it would be so powerful imagine if we could organize something around that and just give everyone a space to be themselves and i, I completely agree be themselves anonymously all come forward maybe they can write something on i don't know on a little tree or something and you create this like amazing tree that's full of bisexual people that we didn't know existed or something like that i don't know it, it, you could do something wonderful with that and i do think i think it's power in numbers and if we were able to show the world just how many people are by then that would actually start to shift perspectives yeah no certainly so let's have a think about it i'm sure we could arrange it somehow Somewhere on the lines, um, us, us three, of course. It's always down to you, me, and uh, you, me, and Lewis to do everything. <laughs> we don't mind. We come up with the ideas, but if anybody ever wants to implement any of the stuff we come up with, then just let us know. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Um, one thing that's come up in this uh, podcast this time, which I'd heard once before, actually, in a, a comedy thing that I've been making with a. Uh, two ladies who are playing an, an, an elderly, well, not elderly, sort of 60-plus uh, gossips in Lancashire and Yorkshire, and they talk about the local, you know, the local things that are going on and the neighbours and all the rest of it. And it's quite a funny little comedy, and they, they mention it a couple of times. And that's the word thruple. Oh, yes. Obviously, it means threesome, I presume, but it's the first time I've not heard it until then and now. Where, where, how often has thruple been used? Is it, is it... Well... Well, it doesn't mean threesome. It oh. means something quite distinct. It means thruple is a, is three people who are in a proper relationship together. Right, so okay. a threesome is obviously just a sexual experience, but a thruple is a designated relationship. I don't know who coined it. It'd be really interesting to find who coined it. It's probably come out of San Francisco 10 years ago and then it's, you know, yeah, somebody's yeah. kind of like built on it and built on it. I'd love to know the etymology. If anyone's listening who knows the answer, please email in, tell us where the word thruple comes from. I would absolutely love to know. But it's increasingly used in ethical non-monogamy circles to describe a kind of relationship that people might want. And the reason it's become uh, so pertinent recently is because wasn't there something around Rita Ora talking about how she wanted to have a third person in a relationship and then Miley Cyrus has talked about it. So there's been a little bit of a celebrity trend around throppling and... Uh, yeah, we we just have to see if that takes off. It'd be great if it did. And if anybody's listening who is in a thruple and wants to talk about their thruple, <laughs> then get... please let us know. We're all ears. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Lewis, well done, well done today on juggling baby and bisexual brunch. I am never doing this again. This was a big mistake. <laughs> I was like, it's fine. Should just be in her playpen. Should be okay. Um, clearly not, so Mommy's going to have to make sure she's here to look after She's gone quiet now, have you noticed? She, she's gone quiet. Yeah, she has gone quiet now, just when you're about to finish. 
Okay, well, that's Bisexual Brunch for this week. If you've got any comments, thoughts, musings, do get in touch with us at, at Bisexual Brunch on Twitter. And thank you for listening, and we'll see you later. Bye for now. So, guys, usually I talk about what I'm going to go do after the show, but this week I want you guys to do something after the show and go vote for us in the British Podcast Awards. The link will be on our Twitter, and if everyone could vote, that would be great. We'd have that angle then, and then we'll get more funding for Bisexual Brunch. So please vote for us in the British... I was going to say the British Bisexual Podcast Awards then. Maybe one day. Vote for us in the British Podcast Awards. Link on our Twitter. This programme is an MIM production. Remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.